Godliness and friendliness, that's a good thing. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. All right, my wife has the announcement. Yes, one big announcement. Our Friends and Family Day is coming up October 20th. So this, we're going to start blasting this on Facebook and sending invites. And I would encourage you all to share that um, invite, to invite a friend, a coworker. We can help provide the event, but people will come to church because you invite them or because they know your face. And so I just encourage you to do that. We will have bounce houses, food, so a great service. And as we finish, we'll just walk right over to um, the field across the street and have a fun time. So we want to encourage you all to bring a friend or two or three, and we will have a great time on October 20th. All and right. that is it. And I believe it will not be hot. That's half the battle right there. It will not be hot. Come on, amen that. It will not. It's going to be cool in Jesus' name. That's a statement of faith. That's what I'm doing. All right. Well, we're in a series called The Great I Am's. Jesus makes seven I Am proclamations, seven from John chapter 6 to John chapter 15. Seven times he proclaims the nature of who he is, and we understand his personality. We understand his nature by studying these. So let's learn something new from the Word of God. And I say that every week. You know, it's true. This week I was studying this, and I was like, I've never seen that before in the Bible. But you got to wait for that one. <laughs> John chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 17. This is a very long chapter and a long story. Because this is the very famous story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. But you have to understand all the backdrop and before. The, the verses dedicated to Lazarus being raised from the dead are small. But the backstory of it and Jesus proclaiming, I'm the resurrection and the life, is all preceding it. And that's what we have to understand. So we even understand the story of Lazarus. We need to study John 11, 17 to 27. little setup before we jump in. A message has been sent via the two sisters, Martha and Mary, to Jesus, who's several miles away, close to 20. Please come, your friend Lazarus, that's in the Bible for a reason, your friend is sick and it's unto death, please come. If you're here, you'll fix this. Jesus says, we're going to wait. We're going to wait. And in fact, as it, he says it's getting ready time to, be, to, to go, he's going to say, Lazarus is dead. Theologians believe that the moment that came out of Jesus' mouth is the moment he died. Jesus knew the moment Lazarus breathes his last. By the time Jesus gets to, uh, to, to Bethlehem, two miles from Jerusalem, he's been dead four days. The funeral's already been happening and is still happening. You may have been to other countries or something. Funerals often last for up to a week. They bring in professional mourners. Even though Lazarus is a Jesus follower and the Jews don't like Jesus, everything's calm now. Shh, just be quiet on all of that stuff. Don't talk about Jesus all that. It's a funeral. We're all going to be respectful, right? Even the Hatfields and McCoys had a funeral. They didn't shoot each other at the funeral. They waited, all right? So that's kind of the picture here. So we're going to pick it up in verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been dead in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was, excuse me, I said Bethlehem. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Like I said, even though the Jews had serious problems with Jesus, they are trying in their humanity to comfort the sisters who's lost their brother. 
We have no mention of parents. It seems to be this is the oldest son, Lazarus, and he's responsible for everything in this culture. He's responsible to take care of these ladies. It's a big deal. Verse 20. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Martha most probably did for multiple reasons. One, she was concerned about Jesus' safety. She knew that coming into this town could be dangerous. In fact, one of the disciples said, are you sure you want to go? He said, I'm going. And so one of his disciples, it's recorded in the beginning, says, all right, we'll go die with you. They didn't know. They said, yeah, the funeral will be fine, but after they're going to try to kill Jesus. In fact, it was uh, Thomas the twin. The reason they called him that is because they, they believe he looked a lot like Jesus. So if you look a lot like Jesus and they're wanting to kill Jesus, you're, you're the bullseye, right? <laughs> I think that's him. Get him. Verse 21. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, oh, I know. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus stops everything. The resurrection of Lazarus must be halted and must stop because it is more important that Martha understands what salvation is and who Jesus is. Everything has to stop. Raising Lazarus is easy, and he'll die again many years later. Everything has to stop until we get our belief system right, is what Jesus says. Now he's going to proclaim the truth and that we think rightly and believe rightly. For he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we must know truth. Verse 25. No, no, Martha. Not that he's rising in the resurrection. Only, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, because we're all going to die one day, he shall live. And whoever believes in, and whoever believes, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And Jesus just stops talking and waits. Jesus always asks us questions. And he always demands an answer. Not in anger, in love. Not in impatience, in glorious fatherly love. But Jesus looks at us and he requires an answer. Amen? So he just... Do you believe this? Verse 27. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. Oh, this is the first time we ever see from the mouth of a woman this proclamation. Peter's the only other one to say it before. In fact, it's recorded in here by John most probably because he was close to this family. In fact, remember, it's John that's, still, that's there at the cross when Jesus is hanging there. And it's John who's running to the tomb by the words of who? Why did John run to the tomb? Because Mary and Martha came back and said, he's risen. Oh, now we see why John took off and beat everyone else there at the word of Martha because John knew Martha. And John knew that she was full of faith in, the G- in Jesus Christ long before he was ever crucified and resurrected. She knew She knew she had encountered him. Ooh, I'm getting all excited already. I didn't even start point one. Oh, my. (laughs) She knew. Verse 27. I, uh, excuse me, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into 
the world. That's a beautiful story. We're going to learn stuff here. But before we can even get to our points, I told you I'd show you something I've never seen. We have to look at uh, John 11, 3 through 5. Let's look at this on your screen here. Therefore, the sisters sent to him. They're sending to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he who you love is sick. Now, look at that. Him who you love is sick. When Jesus said, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. This is the only time this is recorded about a family in the Bible. Not that Jesus didn't love everyone. He did, obviously. God is love. Um, all his people. But look right here. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. Okay. We kind of already knew that. Okay. Why is that in the Bible? I was beginning to read this, and the Lord showed me something I'd never seen before. See, Jesus grew up as a young man in Egypt. But about 12, he came back to a small town called Nazareth, right? Right? Nazareth. He was raised from around uh, before 12 all the way up until 30 years old. He grew up in a little town. Most of them were some kind of relative, right? What happens when he gets baptized and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him in his little town and they've known him his whole life and they love him and his stepfather is dead at this time? We know Joseph died sometime in his teens or 20s. We know when Jesus hanging on the cross he's dead, right? Because he's looking at his mama and says, John, this is going to take care of you. Mary, you're going, to, you're going to live, his mother, you're going to live with John. He's the oldest, right? So in this little town he grew up in, he knows everyone, everyone knows him, a man of integrity who's taking care of his family. We know he has at least one sibling, possibly more, you know, uh, James, the son of our Lord. What happens when he's baptized, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and he steps into his divine call in earthly ministry? What happens in that little town? Get out of here. Who are you, carpenter's son? I've known you all your life. Least we ever think trite or small of Jesus Christ. Think of the rejection in his humanity. He's 100% God. He's 100% man, right? Think of the hurt and the rejection and the pain. He's still a dude. It hurts. Men, we are much more sensitive than we lead on, right? Right? Ain't nothing going to dent this armor. We're all like John Wayne. Well, I'm good. Nothing bothers me. That hurt. Deep rejection. I will submit this to you. When we find Jesus right before his um, Passion Week, whose house is he at getting anointed? He's at Lazarus's with the sisters. I will submit this to you. That the God of love who loved his son eternally gave him a surrogate family because he was rejected by this world. He was, bro he was hurt, and he said, I'll tell you what, I understand that's what the world does, but I'm the God who supplies everything, and I will give you this family whom you love. He loved the disciples, but you know the stories. He had some rough ones with them, didn't he? They were kind of like work colleagues sometimes. <laughs> like, oh, let me just, <laughs> you know, we always see him leaving the disciples early in the morning, going like to the Mount of Olives. I think he just needed a break sometimes. He just needed a break. Not with this family. This family was God's grace in his life. It was the grace of God. In fact, the pleasure of that, that few days he had with Lazarus and the just mentally, emotionally, physically refreshing him was prepping him for the pressure of the cross. 
God always gives pleasure and rest before difficulty. He does, doesn't he? He does. There are some of you here um, that have had uh, some major relational changes. You're widowed or you, uh, you've had a relationship that will never be fixed. It can't, not on this planet. And I want to tell you that you are not without despair. That God himself will supply the family, will supply relationships for you, no matter what has happened or what the world has done. Amen? I have never seen that in the Bible, and the Lord just poured that in me and showed me that. Isn't that beautiful? That's a beautiful picture. Let me tell you one of the reasons I think the Lord showed me that. In me, I think Jesus doesn't need anything. He's he's Jesus. In his humanity, he did. He needed it. You know, we think... Leaders, if you are lead, husbands, wives, moms with a bunch of kids, well, I just got to do, I got to give, I got to give, I got to give, I got to give, I got to get, I got to do, I got to do. I'm going to tell you something, God wants to fill you too. Because he knows you've got weights pulling on you. He knows you've got high responsibility life. He knows that you've got kids and this and that, that you've stepped into responsibility. Don't, don't run from a high responsibility life. You step into it. That's the life of Jesus. And he was going to do that for Jesus and refresh him. It's a beautiful picture. I think, okay, Lord, you will do and supply all of my needs, all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, let me illustrate this. Throw up that picture right there of those little girls. <laughs> so last week, was, uh, last week was family service. Every fifth Sunday, you know, it's crazy. we got kids everywhere, mostly mine. So... I always tip the scales. If there's not very many kids, if I come, there's a lot of kids. It's just the way it is. There's not very many. Steven's here. Crud. It's packed. <laughs> we blew up babysitting. So last week, uh, my daughter, okay, let me tell you, this is Emma in front, and the middle is Mally. That's Taylor and uh, Beth's daughter, and at the end is mine, Ellie. So they sit right behind me because they wanted to sit together, right? They, you know, kids want to sit together. Fine, that's fine. They just can't sit together like on the other side of church. They got to be, I got to hear them. So this picture was sent to me by the Erdmans, um, Melissa and um, Andy. So they were, wa- the parents watching them, they're out of town this weekend. So this picture was sent to me by him. He said, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? He said, that girl, that's his daughter, the one in the front, got my phone during service, took a selfie with her friends and slipped my phone back to me and I never even knew it. Now, I shouldn't mention to you guys, not here, this is being recorded, though. Uh, he's a federal agent. That doesn't bode well for his job. <laughs> a seven-year-old took your phone, you didn't even know it. <laughs> took a picture of selfie and then handed it back to you. I'm like, don't tell your commanding officer that. I'm going to show you what the Lord does. They moved a year ago from Alabama. That little girl had to leave her friends and didn't have any. Not one person, not one child did she know here. When she moved, they're both from Alabama. That was a year ago. They, they love to see each other and hang out all the time. Now let's go to the middle one, Mally. Six months ago, was six months ago y'all moved? And I remember-ish. And I remember him saying, we're going to try to let Mally finish school. That's okay. Can we come a little later? I said, I get it. He said, she's struggling. She's leaving all her friends. Right? She was born in Atlanta, right? Her whole life. Now back up five years ago, and I thought, we don't have any friends here. We don't know it. Lord, you'll just have to supply what is lacking. 
you'll have to supply what has been taken. Now, I'm going to tell you, look at that picture and tell me that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ who has supplied all things for them. They are lacking in no good thing. Amen? That's what the Lord does. That was last week. He'll let that happen despite the, fa- the, the uh, fallings of a federal agent who loses his own phone. <laughs> Y'all don't tell him I said that. I like him. He's a great guy. And he was nice enough to send me this picture. And I asked the parents if I could use it. That right there is the Lord supplying. That's what this story is about. This story is about God supplying to his son everything he needed. And then his son supplying. This is the way it works. His son supplying everything we need, including this family. I don't care if it's raising the dead. He'll supply everything you need. Okay, wow, that was a long intro. Let's jump into this. You've got notes right there. Let's look. Verse 20. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went out to meet him, but Mary was sitting in the house. This should be a familiar story. The busy, oldest Martha, high responsibility, constantly working, working, doing, doing, and Mary the younger, more laid back, more... uh, Uh, relational driven is sitting in the house. We have the same story in Luke, don't we? This sounds familiar. Luke 10, 38. Martha's actions in this one actually hurt her. Verse 38 of Luke 10. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not do, excuse me, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. When we see Martha and Mary the first time, we see the roles reversed. We see Mary doing what she should, and Martha stressed out about life. When we find Martha the next time, she's running to Jesus, and Mary is in a state of shock. A room by herself, alone, inconsolable, kind of is the picture there. And Martha is headed to Jesus. Martha's going after him. Let me tell you about Jesus. Number one in your notes. Jesus is still the greatest mentor. He's still the greatest discipler. He's still the one who loves and will grow you and will adjust you. He's the greatest chiropractor. Never thought about that one. (laughs) He's called the great physician. Close enough. Jesus mentored Martha in Luke. We see her developing and running to Jesus. And does she do and say everything perfect? No. That's why we have this whole text here. Let's break it. Let's break it down. Not only is he the greatest mentor, but what happens in verse 21 when she comes to when she gets to Jesus? Verse 21. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here. She has faith. But it's a limited faith. Is Jesus limited to his location? No. 
we have the exact opposite with the centurion who comes to him with a servant who's on his deathbed, right? The centurion comes in, says, I got a servant. He's on his deathbed. Jesus says, I'll come right now. He goes, no, I'm, I'm not worthy. He said, in fact, but if you would just speak the word, he'll be healed. Jesus said, oh, I have not seen such great faith like this. That man knew that location had nothing to do with it, that Jesus was omniscient. He was omnipresent by the Holy Spirit, even in his earthly form. And he could say and do anything. Martha, she's bruised. She's broken. You could have, it it could have been okay if you had been here, Lord. But it seems to be too late. Let me tell you what Jesus does with bruised faith. And we need as Christians to do this. We need to do this with every child, every spouse, every unchurched person, every de every lost person. This is what we need to do too. Jesus could have come down on her. He didn't. He didn't. He loved her. Number two in your notes. Jesus strengthens bruised faith. He, he's going to strengthen and build her up. The reason he's going to do this is because it's been prophesied that he would do this for 800 years. In fact, we find it in the book of Matthew, who Jesus was and what kind of person he was dealing with people. It's in Matthew 12. Listen to the prophecy. This is Isaiah 42. Matthew 12, 20. A bruised reed, he will not what? He's not going to break it. A smoking flax, he will not quench. Till he sends forth justice to victory. Verse 21. And in his name, who's going to trust? Me. Me. Yeah, I like that. Jesus strengthened. Strengthens bruised faith. Look, there is all, in every season of our life, in every time, there's going to be a time at some point in our life, excuse me, let me say that straight, that it, we're going to be bruised. That your faith is just, oh, Lord, I thought that was going to go differently. Oh, I just didn't know this was going to happen in life. Oh, this is a fallen world. Faith gets bruised. Let me tell you, though, it doesn't get broken. He's the author and he's the finisher of our faith. And he will complete it. He will strengthen that bruised faith. It doesn't matter in your marriage. It doesn't matter if it's in your health. It doesn't matter if it's in relationships. He is the God who strengthens that bruised faith. If it's incomplete, he'll complete that faith. That's what he said he would do, right? All right, let's keep looking here. So he's the greatest mentor. He strengthens bruised faith. Let's see what else he does. Verse 24. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection. I know that I'm just going to have to suffer here on this planet. But even though her faith was bruised, even though she was struggling, you know what she understood? She has some great insights, and this is why she could so proclaimly, so easily proclaim Jesus as Lord. Number three on your notes, she knew this. All Christian suffering is temporary. It's temporary. She knew this will pass. She knew even in her weaknesses, even in her struggles, that this would pass, and that Christian suffering is 
temporary. This is what 1 Corinthians 15 says. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 54. So when this corruptible is put on incorruptibility and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up. It's swallowed up in victory. It's temporary. You know, I think about this in our lives. I, <laughs> I hurt my wrist playing with the kids. Playing basketball with 20-year-olds, I was fine. Wrestling on the couch, I, they jumped on me all at once, and I turned like this, and I twisted my wrist last week, and it just, you know, you know I'm like, I cannot. I don't even want to tell that, but I did it. And it hurt so bad for a couple days. This is what I thought. That's it. I'm done. I'm just going to stop playing ball. I'm going to have to put it. I got a brace. I'm going to have to wear this for weeks and weeks. And, you know, I should, I'm going to retire. I'm going to hang this up. I'm just going to start running. I'll, be the, I'll, I'll, I'll walk. I'll be the old guy with the bicycle. I don't care. Whatever. That's the thought when we're in pain. That's the thought it's going to always be like this, and I'm going to have to adjust my whole life. I'm going to have to change my whole life. You know what happened? It hurt really bad for a couple of days. By the fourth day, I was like, oh, it's okay. Hey, all is not lost. The world is not over. When you're in it, when you're in it, you're like, oh, it's over. No, no, no. We got to remember, whatever you're dealing with is temporary. Amen? It's temporary. She knew that even in her difficulty. The early church, um, a lot of the very early church, were, they were illiterate, especially when the peasants started getting saved and all this. Books were not so common like they are now. So like we sing the Apostles' Creed, you know, I believe in God the Father and all that. They, what they would do is they would use that once they had given their life to Jesus. That was short enough for them to memorize. I've said that before. There's something in history I didn't know about. So when they would bring them up to get baptized, they would all repeat the, uh, either the Apostles' Creed, some of them would do the Nicene Creed. But when they would line them up to be baptized, they would repeat, it and repeat the, the creed. And when they got to the part that says, I believe in the resurrection of the flesh, that's what we say. We shorten it, just say, I believe in the resurrection, right? That this will be resurrected. That's what the Bible says. They would point to themselves, Lord help me, I'm going to quote Latin. They would point to themselves and they would say, Etinum hugus carnis. Etinum hugus carnis. Even this very flesh. Even this very flesh. Why was that done in that era of the church? I tell you one reason. The infant mortality rate was close to 20%. Most, theolo- uh, most historians put it at over 20%. You know what the average lifespan was for a man? 56. It's more than 20 years that now. They under- You know the toil of the first century and second century, the difficulty? You could die of an abscess too, right? They understood that all this suffering, way beyond what we deal with usually, was temporary. And at the beginning of their Christian walk, they would step forward and say, I'm going to tell you, this right here will rise again. Even this is temporary. Amen? If you want that Latin phrase, I'll I'll give it to you after service. I won't ever quote it again. (laughs) Even this very flesh. Verse 25, let's keep looking. Oh, it's going to turn upward beautifully, gloriously. 
It always turns upward at the words of the Lord. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. Not a life that you're going to get when you get to heaven. That's going to be there, but not that. Not some future far off. Not some just hope and, and wish and misery and one day it'll be okay. No, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Jesus puts a premium on belief, doesn't he? I mean the highest premium you could put. Now, this is why this is so important. This is fundamentally different than every other thought, thought pattern in life, whether religiously or philosophically. Belief in the person and work of Jesus Christ is put at the highest pinnacle. In this world, works is the way it, you make things happen. That's fundamentally different, and we need to understand that as Christians, that our salvation is belief, that we live by belief, that everything we do is by belief in him. It dominates everything going on around us. One, because we know this is temporary. It may be a storm. doesn't change your belief. Number four in your notes. Belief is the most dominant thing in your life. It will dominate every area of your life. The way you think about yourself, the way you talk about yourself, the way you talk about your spouse, the way you talk about your children. Jesus brings Mary in and says, Mary, your most dominant thing right now. And who? what kind of woman is this? This is a task-oriented driver lady. Not bad or good. No one personality is not better or worse. She's shining here where she struggled earlier. Martha, Mary was shining earlier where she's holed up in a closet now. There's, one's not bad or the other. We always think, oh, Martha's bad and Mary's good. No, they're different. And look how she shines here. This is one-on-one -on -one with Jesus. Mary doesn't get this. This revelation is for Martha. This proclamation is for Martha. So don't ever think negatively of your personality traits that you don't like. Come on now. Anybody not like themselves, a personality trait? I'm like, sometimes my wife will say, Stephen, you know you talk for like 20 minutes straight. All right, I just need to remember to calm it down. Listen, listen. Don't talk, just listen. I can't get mad at myself. I just want to work on that, right? So here Jesus says, your belief system will dominate your life. It, the way you talk about yourself, what you say, that you believe, of course, above all, I am the resurrection and the life. Belief is the most dominant thing in your life. I want to show you a belief that we have as Christians in John chapter 5. We don't believe that Jesus tells us about the way. We don't believe that Jesus is Confucius or whatever and has some heightened knowledge or some hidden ability. That's not what we believe. What we believe about Jesus is found in John 25 and 26 to echo his statement about I'm the resurrection and the life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead, those spiritually dead, he's not talking about the second coming, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will be made alive. Salvation, 
boom, in an instance, supernatural. Verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted that the Son may have life in himself. It's not that Jesus, we ever say he points the way. That's too, that's too small to talk of Jesus. He has life in himself. He is the way. He's everything. In him is life. In fact, Paul proclaimed, oh, to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. Well, I just count all those things as rubbish. To be found in him is to have life here on this planet and eternally. Amen? That's the way we think. That's the way we operate. He is the resurrection and the life. All right. Last one here. Oh, I'm doing good. Verse 27. Oh. Verse 27 is important. They're all important. So remember, Jesus asked a simple question. Do you believe this? And just sits there. I wonder what the time of silence was. Is it two seconds? Was it enough time for Martha to dry the tears, to take a breath, so she could clearly say this? I don't think she mumbled it. I don't think she did it with cracked voice. I think that when it came out of the words of Jesus' mouth, when those words came out of his mouth, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. It went straight through her soul. It filled her. It made her proclaim something. It, she couldn't, it, it filled her and it had to come out. Verse 27. Then she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are not some height understanding. You're not just a rabbi. You're not just a teacher. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, who is come into the world. I'm going to ask you a question, just like Jesus asked a question. Last Number five is a question. Have you experienced the great confession? Have you proclaimed like Peter proclaimed? Have you proclaimed and are still proclaiming like Martha proclaimed? I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. You know, I'm a theology guy, right? I'm a, a, a history guy. I'm a uh, an information guy, an information junkie. Come on, man, information junkie. Come on, I can scroll in like 14 different things going on. But when I think about what holds me in my life, when I think about what makes me want to be a faithful husband and father, a pastor who's not perfect by any means, but just I'm going to serve the Lord, I'm going to obey him, and this is the way I'm going to walk in it, and I'm going to do it as long as I draw breath. It's this one thing right here. For me to step away from that is to say, hold on, he's not Christ, and I'm not stepping away from that, ever, in any way. He is Christ, the Savior of the world. He is Christ, that great confession. 
of our souls. Have you made it? Well, you're here. You probably have. Did you make it this morning in worship? That's my question. Did you not just come? When worship started, did you say, I'm going to proclaim the great confession. He's the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Let's stand up. One last illustration. Let me show you some couple of pictures. Let's look at this first one here. First thing I thought of is, man, that lady needs to be in the sun. <laughs> That's horrible. That's what I thought of. I look, I was like, oh, my goodness. She needs to get out some. That's Queen Victoria the first. I'm sorry. I, I went off on the deep end on this illustration. This is Queen Victoria the first. Uh, she reigned for almost 50 years in England in the Golden Age. They've made movies about her. In fact, let me show you this next picture. This is someone... Uh, I can't remember her name. This is an actress playing her. <laughs> they did the white very well. Um, she's very celebrated in England. She's, you probably you know, heard of her because uh, she's called the Virgin Queen. It was in, because she never married. You know, the golden age of the empire of England and Scotland, not just the country, was kind of started during her reign, expanded all over the world, especially with trade routes. Let me show you one more picture, one of the first when she was young. This is a unique picture in that that is her personal Bible, her personal one. This was a rarity. Usually only royalty had this. One, because many in England were still illiterate at the time. You had to be of high affluence to have a personal Bible. She's holding her personal Bible. You see the cross there, and behind her is a family Bible or uh, uh, like a monarch Bible that she would read in groups and stuff. She was famous for many things, but most people don't know that she was an avid Bible reader. And men commented at this time in history, which was rare, that really she had a, an amazing mind and was a bit of a theologian because she had the Word of God. See, this little bit of the word that we read today is what Martha had straight from the mouth of Jesus changed her life. And this is the same thing that Queen Elizabeth had. I will read to you her historic account. It's verified, verified. This is what she said upon a Bible study after study, studying what we read today. From John 11, she proclaims, Yeah, yea, Lord, as the Word, in capital, Jesus, as the Word did make it so, I believe and take it. She sounds just like Martha. We as Christians make the same proclamation, don't we? That's the way we talk. That's the way we believe. Taylor, why don't you come on up? Let's spend some time with Jesus. End it early. Before we go any further, I'll ask the question, have you made the great confession? Everyone in this room, doesn't matter if you're young or old, whatever. Have you proclaimed, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, 
the Savior who's come into the world? Have you made it? Do you know that he's yours and you are his? Quickly with heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're in here, say, I have not made that confession. But all who are in Christ make it. If you have not made that confession today, you can today. And in an instant, by proclamation and faith in Jesus Christ can be saved. Before we go any further, is there anyone like that who wants to give their life to Jesus? All right. So before we leave, it's kind of our wrapping up of this service. I think it would be appropriate for us, after with all this word in us, to make a a proclamation to confess just like she did just like every Christian did just like Queen Elizabeth just like all men and women of God do amen is that time well spent that is time well spent come on Taylor help us make a confession today
Lord, thank you that we can proclaim who you are. Thank you that you came to us and you asked, do you believe this? Oh, yes, we do, Lord. With everything we are, you are the resurrection and the life. Though we may die, we shall live. We live here by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Lord, thank you for the greatest confession, for the greatest words we can ever speak. The greatest thing that can come out of our mouth is the proclamation of Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And it's the greatest thing we can speak to this world. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We leave knowing that we have practiced, we have done today in reality the greatest thing we can ever do, the proclamation of Jesus Christ as Lord. And in that name we pray, and everyone said, Amen. Come on now, praise Him. God bless you. Have a great day.